Tonight's scripture reading, 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 through 3. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so must do, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay by something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collection when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. Good evening. I invite you to be taking out your Bibles if you would like to be turning to Acts, the 24th chapter. We'll be starting out our study there in Acts chapter 24. We have been, last week we looked at the topic of evangelism and trying to encourage us as disciples to be evangelistic, but also to recognize the church's role in evangelism. And tonight we're going to continue a what's going to be a short uh, three-week series, if you will, on the work of the church and various aspects of the work of the church. So this is week number two. You just didn't know last week was the beginning of it. But we're going to look at evangelism last week. This week we're going to look at the topic of benevolence. And the reason that we're going to be looking at these three areas is that Right, about a month or so ago, we finished up our series on Bible authority. And this is really how you see biblical authority executed. That you see this play out in these three areas in particular. And we could go on in a lot of different areas in which we might be able to talk about biblical authority. But in these three particular areas has created a lot of strife and division among brethren. And it's important for us to understand the principles which uh, support our stance on many of these things and what we believe to be the truth of Scripture. And in Acts chapter 24, in the topic of benevolence, you see in Acts chapter 24 as Paul was on trial. He was standing before Felix and he was having to give an account for himself after being unjustly accused in Acts chapter 24, he is before the Roman governor Felix in Caesarea. And he is defending himself and he is having to give some proof, some evidence of how he was not out to attack anyone. And in Acts chapter 24, in that account, he goes through several different things to show how he has very much in common with the Jewish brethren, people, that how he was not out against them, he was not opposed to the law of Moses that had been slanderously brought as a charge against him or anything of that nature. And the reason, or one of the proofs that he offers that he was not out to attack any of his Jewish uh, ethnic brothers, if you will, then Acts chapter 24 and verse 17, he says, Look, I came to bring alms to them. He says, it, Luke records in Acts 24 verse 17, Now after several years I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings in which they found me occupied in the temple, having been purified without any crowd or uproar. But there were some Jews from Asia who ought to have been present before you and to make accusation if they should have anything against me, or else let these 
men themselves tell you what misdeed they found when I stood before the council. And of course, there, there was nothing wrong that Paul had done. He had behaved himself even in accordance to the law of Moses above reproach. But he says, look, I came to do good. I came to help people. I brought money to help and I did not want to do anything that would bring harm to any Jew. And as we can tell from Paul's letters, particularly in Romans chapter 15, if you would like to turn there, Romans chapter 15 and verses 25 to 28, Paul makes very clear that he was organizing a, a collection. And he was encouraging churches to contribute to something to help needy Jews in Jerusalem. In, action, in Romans chapter 15 and in verse 25, it says, But now I am going to Jerusalem serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and in, they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this, and I have put my seal on the, on the fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Spain. Paul, on that third missionary journey, he was very much organizing and encouraging churches that he had helped establish to contribute some money to the needy saints in, in Jerusalem. Of course, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, in our reading this evening, in 1 Corinthians 16 and in verses 1 and 2, passage that we're very familiar with, that we read many times before we contribute and lay by in store on the first day of the week, in 1 Corinthians 16, he gives that instruction on how that was to be executed. We'll talk about some of that this evening, but he very clearly says in verse 3, that when I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And in a passage that we looked at this morning in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and verses 1 through 4, he is talking about that collection. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and in verse 12, he very clearly talks about this ministry. He says in verse 12 of chapter 9, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 12, For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. What I want to, us to be impressed with after reading these verses is just how much of a desire Paul wanted to have churches help other Christians. That he saw this as an important role, that he was serving as an ambassador, if you will. That he was someone who wanted to help churches. He wanted to help saints. He wanted these churches to contribute to be a part in that. And he saw this as something that was necessary. As he said in Romans chapter 15, in those verses that we read in verse 27 in particular, where he says that, that you are indebted to them. That if we have spiritual fellowship with one another, if we are brothers and sisters in Christ, then we have an obligation to help one another. Even when it comes to our physical needs and our physical distress, we are under spiritual obligation because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. 
And it's interesting on that third missionary journey when Paul is talking to the elders in Acts chapter 20 and in verses 34 and 35, he says, You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of Lord Jesus. that He himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. He makes that connection with what Jesus said about it is more blessed to give than to receive. And while that might be a good principle we need to teach our children come Christmas time, that's not what Paul was talking about. He was putting that in connection with the contribution and helping the needy saints. That we need to learn the principle that it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's something that Paul made very clear And so he is very adamant that he wants to help other saints when they are in need. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 10, as Paul says, talking about remembering the poor saints there in Jerusalem, as he was asked to do, he said, they only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. Paul was not doing this half-heartedly. He says that he was eager to help that he was someone who was desiring to be an influence to help Christians who might be in need. Benevolence is something that ought not to be a hard issue for us. Benevolence and desiring to help people, we should never have to try to convince or arm twist that, hey, we need to help others. Benevolence is something that we need to be involved in as the Lord's people, as people who are recognizing that there might be poor people or those who are suffering, we need to find ways in which we can help. Now with that said, we're going to understand that with some of the principles of biblical authority that there might be some limitations on what we can do scripturally as a congregation. We need to respect the Scriptures and what we can and cannot do. But individually as well, we can we see that there are no limitations. That individually we're talking that we are free to use our own judgment in the best course of action on how we might contribute and help people in need. And so individually, there it's a, a separate discussion. But tonight we're going to be focused on the congregational aspect of it. And so we're going to recognize some limitations. But don't think that that puts limitations on you individually per se. That we should all have this desire to help people who might be in need. And so Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 as he is organizing that collection, he tells us some of the ways in which he expects this to be accomplished. And this is not just something that he was talking to to the church at Corinth and he was saying, okay, you guys use the best judgment here. I want you to follow it this way. But in other places, they might do it differently. That's not what Paul says. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and in verse 1, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. He says, I want you to do this in the same way. Paul's making a pattern argument if there ever was a pattern argument. That he is saying this is something that you do. 
that I told the churches of Galatia to do it this way. This is the way I want you to do it. And he is doing this inspired and giving this inspired instruction. And the word directed there. And that, that's an appropriate translation. But it's also that he is saying, I commanded it. That I'm commanding you to do this. That I want you to do it in this very way. And so he tells them very clearly in verse 2 that they are to take up this collection on the first day of the week individually, that each one of you, you lay by in store, you save, you put aside, and you contribute to that collection as you prosper. It's to be a proportionate in what you have. You cannot give what you do not have. That's something that is very important to understand. But here you also see that there is authority for the church to have a treasury. He says in verse uh, 2 that they are to put aside and save. That this is something that it means literally to store up or to treasure up. It gives us authority to have a treasury as the Lord's church. We set aside and we save each week. So that whenever things may occur, that we can help other Christians in need, that we are able to do that. We see something, another important thing on the point about individuals. I think this is important for us to understand how things might be done in a collective sense and in an individual sense. That the church takes, and this might be semantics, and, I, and so don't get too bogged down on this, but the church takes up a collection each and every first day of the week. Individuals contribute to that collection. And that's an important distinction that we need to think about. And we might need to let that one simmer for a little bit. But that we take up a collection the church does each in every first day of the week. But individuals give as they prosper. And so that is something I believe is critical to understand that there is a congregational work that is at, at stake, that we are taking up a collection as a church. But individually, I contribute into that collection. That's something for us to think about and meditate on that I believe is an important distinction that sometimes we might see that people can easily get confused. And the saints and the purpose of this collection was for helping saints. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 26, and many of the passages that we have read this evening, to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem, Paul is saying very clearly, identifying very specifically who this collection was to be for. It was for saints in Jerusalem, for fellow Christians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 1, now concerning the collection for the saints. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and in verse 4, in support of the saints. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 12, supplying the needs of the saints. We see it over and over repeatedly when Paul is talking about this contribution, this collection, that it is for saints. This wasn't a mass contribution that, and collection that was going to be taking care of every person that might be on the streets in Jerusalem. 
This wasn't a feed the poor and feed the needy in all Jerusalem and in Judea. This was very limited in scope that it had a limitation. It was for saints in Jerusalem. Paul is saying churches are supporting saints as they are making these efforts to contribute. And so who may the church help? Now that we see that they are helping saints, who may the church help? There might be even be some limitations on this. I think that we will see that saints who are in need of material goods in Romans chapter 15. In Romans chapter 15 and in verse 27, Paul communicated this principle to every Christian that if we are in fellowship with people on spiritual things, then we are indebted to minister, to help, to assist them in material needs. In Romans 15 and verse 27, the verse that we referenced a few moments ago, yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. And I think Paul is trying to get the church there in Rome in particular that had a mixture of, of Greeks and Gentiles and Jews He's trying to get them to understand the importance of unity and that whenever you have unity, one of the manifestations of our unity that is whenever we are each individually contributing to this collection that is being taken up and when we have a unified purpose, a unified work, a unified cause, that brings us together and then it also connects us with those to whom we are sending a gift, to those whom we are trying to help. And Paul is saying that if you, even Gentiles, you have an obligation to your Jewish brother or sister. He says that you, if you're going to have spiritual fellowship, if you're going to say that you are in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are going to claim spiritual fellowship that you have the same Savior, then you are under obligation to help them even when it comes to material things. A Christian that is in need of assistance, whether it be local or distant, a church can and should be benevolent and helpful for those people. In Acts chapter 2 and in verse 44, as the church was in its infancy and beginning, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 44, Paul said, and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. You see that the just the desire to share among one another, their material goods, the things that they had, food and resources, that was something that you saw very early on in the establishment of the church. And so if you go back to the church's roots and you're going to see that a benevolent attitude was there from the beginning, from the get-go. I think that's why Paul was able to speak so passionately about these things and these matters. Because he saw this as something that is critical to understanding the Lord's church and our role in, in our relationship with one another. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and verse 12, the verse that we looked at a little bit ago, he says, For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Saints 
who were in need of material goods. In needs. Well, that doesn't mean that we're going to be able to fit the bill for everything that someone might have. I've had even members of the Lord's church say, well, I'm, I'm needing some help. Can you help me? And I always would ask for like a list of what are you, what are some of your most current needs? And I, I've had people turn this in where they wrote down direct TV and all those kinds of things and my credit card bill and uh, no, what are your needs? What are the things that you have that you're needing? That you're lacking? We want to help. But we need to understand that your needs are what we are trying to satisfy and help. Needs of food and clothing or shelter. Those are the kinds of things that we want to help with. But we need to understand that we're not here to be able to take care of every single desire that we might have. And there is an, a distinction. And in one of those conversations, it was a tough conversation, but with that person, I had to say, well, if you would cancel that direct TV bill, then you'd be able to take care of that credit card bill right away. And then you'd be able to have money for your taxes come at the end of the year. Uh, and so that it's just, you got to give up just one thing. But it was a hard lesson. But we're here to help. We want to help. But there are some boundaries that we are helping supply the needs of those that have need. Can only imagine what Paul might say. Someone, if he could imagine direct TV and satellite and all those kinds of things. What he might have said in those in that situation. We also see that the Lord's church helped saints that were affected by emergencies. In Acts chapter eleven, in Acts the eleventh chapter, and in verse twenty-eight, in Acts chapter eleven and in verse twenty-eight, as Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch, as they were teaching the church and the disciples there. You had Agabus who came up. And Agabus was a prophet and he said in verse 28, by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And it says in verse 29, and in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. The church at Antioch each individually contributed and they were willing to send that money to the elders in Jerusalem and in Judea to help under the distress of a famine. Sometimes disaster strikes and it affects Christians. Emergency, unplanned disaster, those situations, fire, flood, illness, death, famine, tornado, hurricane, any of those things might be a distress and an emergency that the church could help in certain situations. And the church collected and sent to the churches in Judea, putting it in charge of the elders so that the elders were able to oversee the distribution of the funds. 
It was something that was important to the church. And the church sent Paul and Barnabas. They appointed them to go to Jerusalem to be sure that it was sent and it was directed to where it needed to go. Churches also have the authority to help widows indeed. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, in 1 Timothy the 5th chapter, as Paul was writing to Timothy about those who might be on the church roll, those who might be taken care of in an indefinite way, he says there are some qualifications that they must meet. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and in verse 3, he says, Honor widows who are widows indeed, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. So he says before they go on the church roll to be helped permanently by the church, the family needs to step in. Their children and grandchildren have an obligation. And he says that... If she who is a widow indeed, in verse 5, and who has been left alone and has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day, but she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives, prescribe these things as well, so that they may be above reproach. He goes on in verse 9, A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man. And he goes on talking about how she must have had a good reputation if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. In other words, this must be a woman who is a good woman who has been a servant of the Lord, a servant of the Lord's people. This is someone who has not desired to only put herself first, but that she has thought of others first. And he says the reason that there are some of these qualifications and that you might see here, he says in verse 16, if any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them and the church must not be burdened so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. That Paul, he's trying to get the church in Timothy to see that there are some limitations. There's a scope in which our uh, our benevolence might be able to be limited in some fashion. And he's arguing, in fact, it needs to be limited in certain ways. And so he's arguing for a limited form of benevolence and assistance so that the church may not be burdened. Widows, indeed, receive indefinite aid. They are, we do have authority to help them on a continued basis so that they might not be left alone and without help. So, how did the churches do this work? In the New Testament, how did congregations accomplish this? I think that's an important. Thing to consider because now we live in a society and where governments have welfare systems are in place where there are all sorts of nonprofit organizations that have been built upon the principle of helping people. So, did 
Churches establish those other businesses or other organizations to accomplish this work. How did churches accomplish this? It's an important thing to think about. And what you see is that there was nothing greater than the local church involved in this effort. Paul wrote to churches, he spoke to Christians, and he did not need any organization outside and larger than the local church to accomplish the work and mission of benevolence. He didn't go out and start the Red Cross Foundation. He didn't start another organization that was dedicated to feeding the poor or building homes for the homeless or providing homes for the orphans or assisting needy widows. Paul used local churches. He didn't use another organization. He was able to move churches and to encourage them to find their liberality to help needy saints. Churches did this work. And so when we think about how did they do this, they didn't use another organization. What you see is that churches, they contributed, or individuals contributed into the treasury, the local church. And then the church, they oversaw and chose when and to whom they might be in a position to help. Antioch, they sent Paul and Barnabas to Judea. Many times what you see also is that they appointed a messenger to go and to make sure that those things were distributed in a unique in, in accordance with how the church had chosen. That while Paul might have been the cheerleader who was kind of organizing some of these things and encouraging churches to do so, he wasn't trying to get in the way. He wasn't trying to say and establish himself as another organization. That he was, he was not trying to identify himself as a business. He was allowing the church to have their say in those things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and in verse 3, Paul, as he was talking about this collection, he says in verse 3, When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So you pick the messenger that you want to send. Paul wasn't trying to establish himself as the middleman. He was trying to get churches to see that the need, but he was not trying to get in the way of that. So who did the work of benevolence? Well, again, you don't see that it was another organization. It was not another group. And when it came to issues in the 1950s and 60s concerning the support of the orphan's home from the church treasury, did the church have authority to contribute money to an orphan's home or to a nursing home kind of facility? And of course, also the support of church colleges got thrown in there. And Foye Wallace, while he might not have been correct on the issue, he did correctly say that the Orphan's Home and the church college, that they stand and fall together. That these two issues go together. Can the church support those things out of the church treasury? 
And the argument that some of our institutional-minded brethren, that they argued that they were using another organization to accomplish the work, and so that the orphan's home, it was an expedient to accomplish the purpose of benevolence. But the fact of the matter is you don't read about another organization coming into the middle. That you see that churches sent the funds to where it needed to go. Paul wrote to churches. Those churches took up collections from saints. Those They gave to saints in other congregations in various places. The church did not send money to a benevolent organization or a business to carry out that giving. Because I believe for Paul, I think there was perhaps a theological issue here at at stake for him. A very personal issue. What Paul envisioned for the kingdom of God, for God's people, that they need to be benevolent, they need to be kind, they need to be people who want to help each other in times of need. And that's why you see that he was so eager to help and to remember poor saints. That's why he was busy about organizing some form of collection. And he was being a cheerleader, he was supporting that, he was encouraging churches to do this and to accomplish this because it was a need that was apparent and obvious to him. His eagerness is evident from the letters that he wrote that we have in the New Testament. He gave instruction to the church at Corinth about these matters, about giving on the first day of the week, saving up and storing the money. He wrote how this was to be done because he saw that the kingdom of God is filled with saints citizens of the kingdom of heaven who need to be helping one another. There are principles and examples that govern us and how we are involved in benevolent help. But what I think Paul wants us to see above all of that is that benevolence helps unify us with a common cause, a common love that we have for one another. He envisioned the kingdom of God as people who would be benevolent and kind to each other, assisting each other in times of need. That's why he said in Romans 15, But now I am going to Jerusalem, serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been been pleased to make a contribution for the poor saints in Jerusalem, He sees that all these saints, all these churches, they want to help. He says, therefore, when I have finished this work and have put my seal on their fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Spain. He saw a purpose. That the church could be unified 
under a characteristic of people who loved each other and wanted to help each other. The Lord's church is supposed to be a benevolent church. A church that loves and supports and helps each other, especially when we are in need and we are struggling. That is something that I think is critical for us to understand. Many times in our converse, in conversations about benevolence, we talk about what the church cannot do. And we've talked about some of the limitations this evening. But what I also want us to firmly recognize is that the church is supposed to be kind and generous and liberal in our giving. We need to be people who are overflowing and care for one another. And out of our love for each other, we want to help one another. That's something that ought to be a characteristic of God's people. I think that's why Paul was so passionate about that. And the work of the church needs to continue on. Especially when we see saints who are in need. Maybe they might be here local. Maybe whenever there are saints in distress at various times and various locations, we need to be willing to help them and stand up beside them because they are our brothers and our sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be willing to step up and to do something to encourage them, to help them, because that is what saints do. This evening, if you're not a Christian, we hope that you might become a child of God by coming this evening in the full assurance of faith to be baptized in water so that your sins might be washed away. Maybe it is you have made that commitment to following Jesus Christ, but you've not been living faithfully for Him. Will you not come back to the Lord? Jesus wants you to come back. God wants you to come back. And He's willing to forgive you. He's willing to accept you. He's merciful and He's gracious. If you will come back confessing your sins, praying that God might forgive you. We're here to help you. We're here to encourage you in whatever way we can. Would you come now as we stand and as we sing?